The following program is sponsored by Grant Stern. This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we've got a great show planned for you tonight. We are going to spend the first hour of tonight's show with Myra Peña Lindsay, she is the mayor of Key Biscayne, the village of Key Biscayne, and we are going to be discussing tomorrow's vote at the Miami-Dade County Commission, which would have the effect of authorizing the Miami International Boat Show to go into Virginia's Key, Virginia Keys Miami Marine Stadium this upcoming winter. It would be February of 2016. We also have neighborhood activist Blanca Mesa calling in at 20 minutes after the hour to give us her input. Uh, she's been very involved in the fight. Then at the 8 o'clock hour, we've got a call from Frank Fiore. He's calling about Hialeah Park, and they're having a big event this Saturday. He's going to tell us all about it. So if you're driving stuck in traffic, you're probably stuck in traffic if you're driving. Kick those shoes off, relax, stay with us. We've got a, a wonderful show planned. But this is the part of the show where I get a few minutes to speak directly to you, the audience, about issues of importance to all of us in Miami or beyond. And tonight I'd like to speak about public participation. It's this wonderful thing that we love to encourage at the Only in Miami show, especially for residents of Miami, but it's important everywhere. And there's one thing that enables more access more opportunity for the public to participate in their local government, more than anything else, so much so that Florida is nationally famous for it. It's called the Sunshine Law. Florida's Sunshine Law is that law which gives everybody, not just somebody who is a member of the media, not just somebody who is a taxpayer or somebody who is a property owner, but everybody who is in Florida, at the time they're in Florida, no less, access to public records. Well, that is unless you live in the city of Miami. Unfortunately, I have been put in the position where I have been able, unable to obtain public records from the city of Miami for my very long and ongoing fight against Walmart. Now, this is not a common, an uncommon problem, unfortunately. In fact, uh, you know, this is happening all the time. So how do we stop it? I mean, how do we stop letting cities hide all of their records? And not just cities, but I'd like to bring up a case that's happening in North Florida. In North Florida, in 
St. Augustine. I've been writing about this for photographyisnotacrime.com. One of the Photography Is Not a Crime reporters has been summarily banned from every single school in his entire school district and sued. Banned and sued. And he was going around and recording near schools and photographing near schools. And our investigation turned up that their attorneys accused him of driving slowly near schools the day after the San Bernardino shootings. Well, all of that sounds really scary, but what he was actually doing was investigating school bus safety and catching school bus drivers in this district faking their reports. They literally like lied that they inspect these buses just hop in and the particular driver that he, you know, confronted face first happened to get into an accident on video <laughs> while he was investigating it. He only spent five days, three hours a day investigating these school buses. And, you know, some people think, well, I don't have kids in school. How does this affect me? And a little bit of research into it shows that actually the people who die in school bus accidents the most are everybody else that's outside of the bus. Um, it's a major problem. That's right. <laughs> and pedestrians, too, because school buses are so high off the ground. Drivers really don't see in every direction. But if their equipment is failing, uh, there's another bigger problem. So this school district, the St. John's County District Schools, filed a slap lawsuit against him. It's called a strategic lawsuit against public participation. Well, in Florida... The slap lawsuit or the strategic lawsuit against public participation is prohibited. It is specifically prohibited because in this country we have a thing called the First Amendment. And without its right of free speech, we would not be here talking with you right now tonight. <laughs> I can tell you for certain uh, if those nearby had their uh, say, I would not be on these airwaves discussing their transgressions, discussing the city of Miami, having secret meetings with Walmart, leaving it all off the record, and then us being forced to sue and, of course, catch them having secret meetings and keeping it all off the record. We would have no mechanism to ever fight corruption without strong enforcement of the Sunshine Law. And it's my belief that there's a small political revolution brewing in Miami now that there's a little bit of new blood in the city of Miami Commission that may see some stronger local mechanisms for the Sunshine Law. But I can say firmly that we as Floridians need a new Sunshine Law, one that eliminates some of the exemptions which are not serving the public interest, one that gives more penalties for the game playing to the actual people who are withholding these public records, which we are already paying them to generate, and which they simply refuse to turn over because that suits them. That is not right. It is illegal. And it should be stopped. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Oh, welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we are back live with Myra Peña Lindsay. She is the mayor of the village of Key Biscayne. Myra, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me. So talk to us for a minute about the village of Key Biscayne. Tell our audience, for those who may not be fully aware, a little bit about Key Biscayne and why this is such an important uh, cause that you're, we're here to discuss, which is the city of Miami's attempt to put the Miami International Boat Show into Virginia Key's Miami Marine Stadium. Sure, Grant. Well, you know, Village of Key Biscayne was part of Miami-Dade County till about 25 years ago. And uh, the village and we, we, we have an island of activists and people who believe in self-autonomy. We were having issues with um, having police presence, having a fire presence and, and zoning issues. So uh, the whole community got together and they really started uh, a, a movement to incorporate so we were the first town in Miami-Dade County to incorporate. It had been 50 years since the last town incorporated. And it was really about um, having a voice heard. So we incorporated. We've, we've done very well. It's worked for us for the last 25 years. And I have to tell you that some of the residents that led the fight for incorporation are active now. Um, they're very well educated. They are long-term residents. And they cannot believe the outrageousness that is happening um, with Virginia Key. So where does the the village border start? The village borders actually start um, right after Crandon Park Beach. Okay. And we have one way in and one way out. Gotcha. So for those in the audience, this is the Rickenbacker Causeway we're talking about. That is the lifeline to Key Biscayne. That is the, the road to Key Biscayne. And as the causeway leaves the city of Miami, it travels to Virginia Key, first, which has beaches, it has some park area, it has uh, the city of Miami sanitation plant on it, and the Miami Marine Stadium, and uh, the UM School of Biology is there, the MAST Academy is there. So let's start talking about what is it that they are proposing to do? Well, what, what the city of Miami is doing right now as we speak is they are creating a flex convention center on public park waterfront parkland and uh, they have flown under the radar um, without a public process um, doing it and and they have fast-tracked a process and all with the ruse that the Miami International Boat Show needed a temporary home and oh let's just let them you know set up uh, and do something that is no no footprint left behind and then it morphed and it continues to morph to a huge commercial enterprise well, I mean, why is it that they're trying to do that when the master plan there says it's supposed to be a public park? Is there some reason that you can ascertain that they should be allowed to do that? Or, I mean, is this just more government kind of gone amok? You know, short term, public parks don't make money. Long terms, they do. And we all need to focus that here in Miami-Dade County. Public parks make a quality of life that makes cities appealing livable, accessible, and worth living and investing in. That's a long-term, and City of Miami chooses not to uh, plan long-term. They choose not to do any urban uh, natural resource planning. They had a public process, a 
a two-year public process because they once, you know, once before, about 10 years ago, they tried to commercialize this property. And the residents of Miami-Dade County, City of Miami, and environmentalists just went crazy. It was such a bad idea that people revolted. And and, and to address this, they started a, an 18-month public process. They had charrettes. They had public meetings. They brought experts from, you know, environmental experts, um, community activists. Um, and, and there was a gre- an agreement made with Key Biscayne as well as part of the master plan? We supported they were, they it. Were, we supported okay, it. Supporter. Okay. And we, we still support it today. It's a good idea. It's what should happen on that island. Right. So what are the elements of the master plan that they are breaching to, to try and put this project, this Miami International Boat Show project, into the Marine Stadium? Well, there's an emphasis on providing public access to public waterfront land, to creating park space, to renovating the marina, to having a, a footprint that is so small that it, it stimulates the natural environment and allows people to really observe it and participate it and enjoy it. All of that is gone with this development. Well, the Friends of the Marine Stadium brought the boat show deal to the table. I mean, it wasn't really happening. The Friends of the Marine Stadium thought that it would be a Hail Mary um, for those in our audience who have not heard of the Marine Stadium, Miami Marine Stadium was designed, what, in 1955, I believe? It was, I, it was I built believe, in 1955. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's on the National Histor- Historic Register of, or National Register of Historic Places. The engineering marvel. Right. It is, um, Hilario Candelo was the engineer, um, and he was involved with the Friends of Marine Stadium. And there was one lobbyist in the group, and he was, involved with the boat show and then they said well it seems like the group is just trying to broker a boat show deal and they got rid of the group of residents um but now it seems like the boat show is trying to broker their own bigger deal that seems very much like 2005 and the well uh, so why is this happening why did we go all of a sudden from a plan where like we restore the stadium um we have residents uh, uh you know gloria estefan was involved how do we get from the Estefan's involved in this big public project to this, like, hey, it'll be open 10 days a year to destroy traffic kind of project. Well, you know, um, it's the boat show is, is the camel's nose under the tent. It was an opportunity to um, start this commercial development. It opened the door to what originally wanted to be done by the city that all these hundreds of residents, you know, um, protested against. And it and and it's completely um, violative and and contradictory to the master plan. Um, it is it it's a problem because it commercializes and really it's not a flex park. It is a flex convention center. It is absolutely massive, and it closes access to that area for ninety days, uh, and it closes access to the basin for ninety days. Now I understand that the marina next to it. The city of Miami Marina, the Marine Stadium Marina, will be closed for almost three months. So boat owners who rent and have uh, and have their boats on the premises will not be able to access their boats on the marina. In addition to that, it's got some really serious impacts to the historic Virginia Key Beach because that is the staging area. It will be a staging area for months. It will also be the parking for this event. But, you know, let's not forget... The, the Friends of the Marine Stadium, 
they they were in it to renovate the stadium. Okay, and that was they wanted anything that would kind of jumpstart that. Okay, the irony of this project: they're spending twenty three million dollars. Not one penny is going to the Marine Stadium. There is no plan for renovation. Well, as I recall, uh, the mandate that the Friends of the Marine Stadium had was to raise fifteen million dollars. And they were having trouble meeting the goal, but I mean, they only had to raise fifteen million dollars to make a complete public park plan with restoration of the stadium. Well, listen, they have not kept their eye on the ball, and this is the city of Miami because they've invested twenty million dollars of taxpayer dollars. But, they would have but been who's, done. Who's the responsible party on the other side? I mean, who would you say? Who is the one or two or three people in the city of Miami that are responsible for this project? Because. You know, it's a hot potato, certainly. Nobody wants to say, oh, I'm the guy doing it, but the whole city is moving forward on it. Who are the major proponents? Grant, it's hard to say because there's been such little public process. And, uh, you know, it's it's not a transparent process. It has not been done in the sunshine. Uh, We certainly are not privy to it. Um, And so that's troubling as well. That's very troubling. Um, I want to mention, I... I asked Mayor Jimenez for comment. I spoke to his, his press secretary, uh, Mike A. Hernandez, and, and I got his comment, and I'm going to read it here on the air. Uh, he said that he will support allowing the boat show to take place as proposed for one year, and the administration will reevaluate the application for the following year. He shares environmentalist concerns. He evaluated the application, and he's making that recommendation. Um, you know, There is like another angle to this, and we're going to pick it up when we come across the break, and that is the environmental impact um, of bringing an 800-boat slip, uh, temporary boat slip for 800 boats into the heart of – it's a historic, you know, marina, which is the the water body that supports the Miami Marine Stadium. That's another big question mark, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean – it has is there anything that you've heard specifically that well listen the the 833 boat marina uh you know slip marina would be the largest marina in south florida huge impact and again it's in the same basin and shares the water with this critical with the bill Sadowski critical wildlife preserve that is so incredibly sensitive that humans are not allowed to go in so that really kind of sets the tone for what are we doing here? This is so critical. It's so rare. And we're going we're gonna to allow such a big impact um, to that basin. We are going to drill a thousand piles every year and remove them. Is that good for, any, for the environment? We're going to cause a basin, basically make Swiss cheese out of that basin and, and, and really destroy the integrity of that sea bottom. And there are a lot of resources in there. I mean, there there are manatees, there there are dolphins, there are uh, migrating and waiting birds. There are many, many um, protected animals and resources. All right. Well, we're going to take a very short break, and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we are back live with Mayor Myra Lindsay. She is the mayor of the village of Key Biscayne. And we've got activist Blanca Mesa on the phone. Blanca, thank you for joining us tonight. Good evening, Grant, Myra. Thanks uh, for having us. My pleasure. So, so Blanca, tell our audience a little bit about when you got involved in the issues, the complex issues surrounding Virginia Key and uh, the, what's going on in the Rickenbacker Causeway and this uh, interesting and dubious plan to put the Miami International Boat Show onto Virginia right. Key. Yeah, well, uh, this is actually just the latest of many schemes and scams and proposals to commercialize and develop um, all of the island. And I actually got involved because um, Mabel Miller, who had actually stopped um, the blimp from establishing a base there in the 70s, was a long-term environmentalist, uh, retired biology teacher, got me involved in, um, you know, the issues related to the, the GDP. <laughs> and this was, you know, good almost 20 years ago when the city of Miami actually tried to sort of under the, you know, um, southly, uh, rezone portions of the Virginia Key that for zoning that would have allowed hotels. In fact, where the Marine Stadium is itself, where uh, they wanted to put a hotel. And so that goes back to, um, you know, many years later, we saw the, what is now the historic Virginia Key Beach Park, which was the original um, African-American beach during segregation. It was established in the 40s. Uh, they actually uh, were given that park by the county, the city of Miami was, um, to always be preserved as a, as a public park. Uh, and if it ever was not a public park, it was to return back to the county. Well, very soon after the county gave it to the city, they closed it. They padlocked it. It was chained. Nobody had seen it for 15 years. And lo and behold, the proposal came forth to give that whole park to uh, developers to build a, an eco-resort. And because of activism, because we discovered the deeds, because we, you know, fought for it, um, today we have, uh, you know, we have a public park back again in that area. So there's been many, many kinds of these proposals. And then, of course, um, Mayor Lindsay talked about how um, part of what came out of when they wanted to rezone it for hotels and other commercial uses is uh, Mabel and I advocated along with some others, that there should be a master plan for the island. And finally, the master plan process got underway, and um, you know, hundreds of people were involved. We developed that master plan, and we, you know, that really should be the guiding principle for the island. It's very much based on natural resources protection, public access, respect to, you know, um, of the public waterfront land. So and uh, that's what, why what, this what is a frustrating to go back and fight the same battle again and and you know i mean what's what's the they don't know what's the recourse there i mean you know like you said hundreds of people got involved there was a master planning session that lasted a long time there's been a master plan in place for five years now right yes um yeah there's been a master plan in place for five whole years um, so what's what lever do we, the people, have as, uh, to get our government here to just accept that whatever everybody decided by consensus is how we should proceed? Well, um, <laughs> we have lawsuits, and I know Key Biscayne um, has, you know, can speak to that. We have, uh, 
you know, speaking out. Tomorrow we have a public hearing. I invite anyone who's listening who cares about public waterfront and respect for laws and master plans and the basic democratic principles that it's based on to come to the county hall at 9.30 a.m., um, and this item will be heard, which is the permit for the boat show. So that's tomorrow um, so, morning. I mean, there are there are rules and there are plans and there are deed restrictions, all designed to protect the public interest. Um, but and, none of them um, apparently work if nobody enforces them. Correct. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> it, um, so tomorrow morning at 9.30 a.m. Uh, at the Miami-Dade County Government Center, that's Government Center Station... If you're taking the Metro Rail, if you commute to work, uh, if you go there at 9.30 a.m., it's at the ground floor of Government Center. Uh, you, you walk in, it's that funny-looking mushroom-shaped building. Certainly something's growing in there. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you go there, you sign up at 9.30 a.m. Um, is there a time certain for the hearing, or is it just you speak at the beginning? Um, well, the, the commission meeting starts at 9.30. I've been told that this item will be heard closer to 11. You should get there a little earlier so you can sign up and, um, you know, it, to speak. You have to fill out a card, and uh, it has to be done before the item actually is heard. Now, what exactly is the commission voting on tomorrow? Because it's, it's one of those deed restrictions you mentioned, right? There are a couple things, and yes, Grant, and, and, and Blanc is absolutely right. The Miami-Dade commissioners should should hear from the residents, from constituents, from people who care. And... They, they hold a lot of the keys to, 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 you know, the locks. They have deed restrictions. When this property was deeded over to the city of Miami in 1963, Miami-Dade County leaders were smart enough to, one, recognize that this was a, a, a natural treasure and, and that it needed to be protected. And they also wanted to make sure that it was used for its intended purpose, for a public purpose. And so there are deed restrictions in that island. There are multiple deed restrictions. For the Marine Stadium particularly, it is public parkland deeded to the city of Miami. By for, the Matheson family, right? No, that's no, no. That's, no. that's, that's this, a different. That's, uh, that's Crandon Park. Oh, that's Crandon right next Park. Door. It's yes. right next door. <laughs> but uh, but for, for public purpose... And they could have a marine stadium, so that land was public parkland that could be used for the marine stadium and allied uses. And so they have these re- deed restrictions, and um, they it is they're the gatekeepers. They should be over. Uh, they should be overseeing what's happening right now. And uh, you know, a boat show that's not even using a mar- the marine stadium in its in its uh, in its uh, project and has been run successfully independently of a marine stadium for 40 years in a landlocked convention center is not marine or allied purpose is not marine stadium or allied purposes it's something totally different so you mentioned that they could use for example the marlins park which is a publicly paid and financed facility that already exists that has tons and tons of parking uh, a fairly substantial space that could host it uh, why do you think they're not going and finding just an alternative space that has the, the floor space? Because they've been given a sweetheart deal, and it's an opportunity for the city of Miami to develop this plant, this group, uh, this land commercially, and create a mega flex convention center. You know, um, the deed restrictions were, were put in place because there, there could be a time in the future when the Marine Stadium wasn't operational. 
and and it preserves the opportunity to take the back the land back. The deed actually grants the county the right to take the land back if it ever should not be used in the Marine Stadium. Really, it hasn't been used as the Marine Stadium, the entire area, since after that Hurricane Andrew when the city of Miami closed it. And that well, that's hold on. That's an odd story. Day. That's an odd story. Yeah. Can you explain to our audience? what the uh-huh. city of Miami did after Hurricane Andrew? Because I think it's well, illustrative of the entire process. I think so. Yeah, that stadium was in operation prior to Hurricane Andrew. Hurricane Andrew comes through, and, you know, of course it was devastating in our community. But well, it was not stadium, devastating it everywhere. Was not, um, <laughs> a death, you know, it wasn't that because, in fact, um, the there were no um, no real you know, substantial damage done. There was a little bit, and they actually, the city of Miami actually received a million dollars in FEMA funding to make any repairs, you know, that, that that would have occurred or clean up the debris, things like that. But, in fact, nothing was done to the stadium to clean it up. It was allowed to be vandalized, you know, and, um, and just it was abandoned and allowed to be vandalized so that everything in there was completely ripped up and torn up, even well, the bathroom fixed pulled out. And, and so you have this sort of post-apocalypse structure, <laughs> which has attracted artists, you know, and, and it's sort of become a living art canvas, but it didn't need to have been destroyed. Well, you wanted to was. say, Myra? What, well, you, yeah, I, I also, I, I want to interject because um, according to the Friends of the Marine Stadium, um, not only did the city of Miami get monies from FEMA and they were going to demolish because they said it was structurally unsound. But then they went forward and they had um, insure. They had the property was insured, so they turned around to their insurance carrier and asked uh, for you know replacement value or the value. And and the insurance carrier said, "Wait a minute, let's make sure that this is the appropriate step. This is an interesting building." And they sent an engineering firm from New York City. And uh, the the report showed that again, you know, evaluated the engineering and 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 the structural integrity of this building, and showed that it was in very good structural change, a shape. And so, what happened? You know, instead of renovating it and 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 taking that opportunity to to um, make it viable again, they put a fence around it and they tried to demolish it through through neglect. And that's why it's been sitting just you know follow for so long well if you've ever been there and i've been there multiple times i mean there's incredible artwork there now right Um, you know the the whole thing is painted um the the friends of the marine stadium did a, a big job of clearing the whole thing out so it's passable but i gotta tell you that whole entire stadium is in great shape as far as the concrete um i never noticed a crack uh, uh, some of it is over the water. Like I think about a third of the stadium is on concrete, hanging over the water, and it's been there without one lick of maintenance for 23 years. Right. And it's well, still good. Yeah, I want to add something. It's an interesting story because one of the reasons that the city said after Hurricane Andrew is they they said, oh, there's cracks in the in the ceiling. There's cracks in the in the um, stadium. And then I discovered, and going back to the, you know, Miami Herald articles, a year after the stadium, cracks were found in the in the, uh, in the stadium. Well, it turned out that those were just um, on the coating that they put over the concrete, so they were completely superficial. So the same cracks that the city of Miami said 
you know, was an excuse for closing it after Hurricane Andrew had been the same cracks that were, you know, early. So it was all not, you know, it was a farce. Uh, it's the, the, the it, typical, the, typical Miami, only in Miami problem. There's money, yeah, right. waterfront land, and crack involved. But, um, <laughs> so I don't know, you know, really we don't know. I mean, there, the Friends Marine Statement has done some preliminary um, work. We don't know what the, you know, pilings are. You know, it's still, we don't know how much it really ultimately cost to bring it back. But um, that aside, the whole area um, that is under the deed restriction is not just the stadium and the surrounding waterfront land, but also the basin itself. So that's part of the historic designation as well. So, in fact, by having this um, boat show and then the other marina, they could jeopardize the opportunity to get the kind of um, national, you know, historic renovation grants, preservation grants, if they threaten the integrity of that historic designation, if they cut it up, if they use the basin, and then it's no longer part of a viable marine stadium. And when I when we were starting to protect the island from commercial development, that deed restriction was what was protecting that marine stadium from being having been demolished many many years ago. And this is not this is not new. The city of Miami has been trying to get those deed restrictions waived for many many years, and we have documents where they had asked. The city manager, um, then it was Merritt Steerheim, to waive those deed restrictions, and they said, absolutely not, we will not do that. Uh, this is a big deal. If we, if we were even ever to consider it, it would have to be extensively you know, studied and vetted, and this is a big, um, important public. Um, because they knew what the city wanted to do, which was develop it, the area, and so, the stadium itself would, would be demolished you know, so, if they um, ever waived the deed restrictions. And that may happen tomorrow. Um, I don't know if... Uh, because that's actually one of the reasons that the, they did not get their permit on November 17th, and we're going back tomorrow. Is the question is, um, are you, if the county allows this stadium, um, this boat show to go through, they essentially would be waiving these deed restrictions, you know. And so the question back to the county attorney is, is the county doing this without even realizing it? And that will be answered tomorrow. But that's a very important point for preservationists to clarify. Because once those deed restrictions are gone, I don't think there's any protection that would guarantee or even give a chance for that stadium to be renovated for people that care about the stadium. Well, and, and that is an issue that needs to be clarified. That's very, very important. And a maybe or we don't think so. It has to be really um, flushed out. And, and again, this process has been just rammed through without any planning and, and, and putting Miami-Dade County commissioners in a situation where they have to just, you know, take a guess, take a stab, uh, and, and not really have the proper research and the proper vetting and have our lawsuits to be determined is, is really, um, it's, it's really bad. It's a bad call. It's, it's irresponsible of the city of Miami and the, and the boat show to put the commissioners and all of Miami-Dade County in this situation. Well, the the commissioner for the district, where uh, the county commissioner for the district where Virginia Key sits, is Xavier Suarez. Has he weighed in on the issue? Have we heard from Xavier Suarez? You know, he actually created the Bill Sadowski. He was he was instrumental in creating the Bill Sadowski critical wildlife area. He has been a champion of of the environmental issues in the Bay and on Virginia Key. Um, I haven't spoken to him at length about this issue because this is a quasi-judicial, so he and I have not spoken. Okay. I, 
I mean, I'm just curious if he's spoken in public about it or weighed in. Because, you know, that's one of the things that really upsets me the most about our form of city government in Miami and county government, which is that we allow our legislature to sit in quasi-judicial settings as an administrative board to approve or disprove permits. And what it means is our elected officials are not allowed to speak with us about issues that affect us as citizens because they are quasi-judges at that point. Well, and what's interesting, actually, at the, at the, last, at the meeting last month, it became evident to us that um, the boat show representatives had, in fact, a- approached all of the commissioners and spoken to them. So that's something that concerns me a little bit. Well, did the commissioners disclose <laughs> that at their meeting? Yes, they did. But, you know, we, not to, um, they weren't pressed. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that is troubling to me in hindsight. I think we need more information. All righty. We're going to take a real short break, and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we are back with Myra Lindsay. She's the mayor of the village of Key Biscayne, and we've got Blanca Mesa. She's a longtime activist, and we're all discussing Virginia Key and the city of Miami's plan to put the Miami International Boat Show into the Miami Marine stadium grounds so you were very passionately during the break telling me what is going to be cut off if the boat show is brought to the miami uh, marine stadium i mean aside from the fact that there will be no marine stadium there it'll just be a boat show that happens to be next to an architectural gem decrepit that is that that needs renovation it's got good bones Uh, (laughs) it'll be (laughs) it'll be in a historic uh a historic uh, uh, body of water, a marine basin that will be devastated by literally poking a thousand holes into it every year. 
But what else is going to be shut off? What other access to the public will be shut off if the boat show arrives? You know, what's what's at, in kind of at stake here is is access. Access for the residents of Miami-Dade County to um, go to our natural resources, to go to our public beaches. Um, if you create a, a flex mega convention center to at that that um, really Im- impedes access to historic Virginia Key Beach. Historic Virginia Key Beach, as of right now, is going to be the staging area and the parking for the boat show and for any other event that comes along. Okay, we have a marina that is going to be closed for two and a half months. You have boat owners who will not be able to access their boats in the marina for two and a half months. You have a rowing club that has been closed already for several weeks at a time and that is in danger of if you put, you know, an 800 uh, boat marina, we have kids, we have adults, we have, um, you know, the the. Well, that means 800 boats have to go in and go out as well every year at some point. I well, mean, it, yeah, the permit is for 830 vessels, and then there's floating structures that are like bars and restaurants as well. Uh, so it's quite, a, it's, it's, it would be the largest marina in Dade County. This is the largest boat show in um, in the country, uh, and it's all crammed into that, you know, small area. But what I want to say is what also is lost is the future opportunity to make this what it was supposed to be, which was a beautiful waterfront park. You know, right now they've actually asphalted, you know, half of the area, and the other half that means that we're going to have just, you know, three or four football field size. Um, area completely covered in asphalt. It's like a scar um, across that beautiful waterfront land. And then um, to add insult to injury, the city of Miami, in, a, in an attempt to say that they are complying with the master plan and there is going to be a park there, they're going to astroturf, the astroturf on top of this asphalt, and they're saying that that is the park they're going to give the community. Now they've, they've they're spending twenty three million dollars to do this. Listen, I and drove so, by this today. <laughs> The scale of these tents, this is a, a flex mega convention center. There are no, oh, yeah. I mean, there's so. no doubt. It is huge. It is massive. It it it, it completely um, just eclipses the boat show. It eclipses everything on that island. It is an eyesore. It is absolutely wrong. And if it wasn't just assaulting all of Virginia Key and all the resources on Virginia Key, it's going to deny access to every resident of Miami-Dade County to Bill Bag State Park, which is the fourth highest visited state park in the state of Florida. It is, you know, a, a, it is a, a local treasure and where everybody goes on the weekends. It is less than $10 to take your entire family. It is what we should be promoting for good health and quality of life. It's also going to de- deny access to uh, Crandon Park Beach, to the beaches, to the tennis center, to the other marinas, to the stuff that we really need to be promoting in this community. Well, I mean, there's one aspect that we haven't hammered home, and we hammer it home like all the time. And being that this is the radio and a lot of our listeners are in their cars, um, there is the traffic aspect. And believe me, tonight, every one of our listeners is in their car because if you're not in this station, you probably can't get anywhere, so you're stuck in there. (laughs) It's true. so, I mean, let's talk about the traffic effect of this, because you're talking about cutting off access, but have they given you any figures as to how many bo- uh, cars uh, will be driving into the boat show? Because from my point of view, 
it seems like people are going to need boats to get to their boat at the marina. <laughs> well, it's interesting because the other thing we haven't talked about is the fact that it is President's Day weekend and the Coconut Grove Art Show is that same weekend. So it's already <laughs> yeah. clogging US 1 and I-95. Well, a lot of people have said that the boat show is really not very useful to us as a city because they have it during the height of high season. People would be coming here anyway. The weather is good. Well, I mean, I mean do we have to have it on, you know, that yeah. weekend? You know what? No, the boat show is a valid, I mean, I think it's not to say the boat show doesn't, you know, provide some economic benefits. I mean, it provides jobs to many people, and that's all true. So I think everyone, you know, supports the boat show's existence and right to be here. We just, this location in particular is the problem, you know, for, for reasons that have to do with public access, for the environment, um, and um, also because there was something else planned for this area. Imagine this were David Kennedy Park or Margaret Pace Park, a beautiful waterfront park, you know. That's really the vision that people need to have, and what we're going to get is just, you know, just an industrial landscape. I mean, it's just not befitting. And I also want to add something that we haven't talked about before, um, which is climate change. And we know this island is already, um, you know, eroding because the sea level rise is occurring on this island. We know there's erosion on the island. The last thing you want to do with our barrier islands is to create impermeable surfaces, which is what they're doing, is to um, actually add more concrete to our barrier islands. This is an island that could be, in fact, uh, an example of how to build resilience with natural landscaping. You know, this is, we're at the very center of, you know, climate change impacts for the world. The whole world is focused on a, a new New Yorker article just about this uh, today out. So this, for many, those reasons also, it just doesn't make any sense, and it's an embarrassment, actually. And tomorrow I will ask, where is our climate change czar, Jim Murley, on this, what does he think? Is this the kind of thing that you know shows the world that we're actually aware of climate change and we're acting resiliently and we're thinking proactively, or is this like something you would see in 1950s? That's exactly. That, it's know? a very naive approach. It's something that would have um, almost been understandable, but not right in the 1950s. What are we thinking? What are we doing? Where's the conscientious development? Well, my other question is, being that this is a waterfront project. Um, why is this not gone to a vote in the city of Miami? I thought that pretty much any major project along the waterfront, any lease of public property along Miami's waterfront, is supposed to go to a referendum. I mean, they'll still lie to you in the referendum, but at least you have, um, you know, a shot at, you know, a vote. You know, unfortunately, it's not a lease. Um there's a loophole if you have a license a, a, a license agreement, and so it's a renewable license agreement um, that circumvents the public process. So you do not need a public referendum. Well, the other thing is that yes, it's a one year. It's uh, one year, even though the boat show is asking for, for example, they're asking for um, a five year permit from the county. Actually, uh, the, uh, the, the mayor's Corps. office told me it was a ten year request for. A it permit. is a ten year request. Yeah, and so and five years for the Army Corps. So they're asking for, and the contract to the person that built the tent, I Exactly. Is 10 years. So Event Star has a 10 year not exclusive. But to circumvent the public referendum, the Corollial Amendment that requires the public to agree to this um, in a vote, they actually are calling it just a, the, the agreement with the um, 
Vogue show is just one year and it's a license. So, yes, I mean, that's why the Miami Herald, you know, wrote an editorial saying that the city has failed, you know, Virginia Key and that we're rightly justified in feeling like we've been hoodwinked. So are, are you guys are you guys uh, suing on that particular issue on the license versus uh, lease issue? That's something that a city of Miami residents should bring. What we are suing is on gotcha. the, the the zoning, the master plan, uh, the and and so many other issues that you know are are a problem. No, there there are quite a few. <laughs> there are quite a few. So to recap, there is a public hearing tomorrow morning at nine thirty a.m. at Stephen A. Clark Government Center. That is the government center where the Metro Rail runs. It's in the heart of downtown Miami. If you go there at 9.30 a.m., you can sign up to speak. The issue should be heard around 11 a.m. And the county commission is having a vote on whether they should waive the county's deed restrictions. Well, they're going to analyze whether it waives the deed restriction. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the, the hearing is actually on... Um, on the permit inside the basin. Permit. So it's yeah, the environmental right. permit. Right, okay, gotcha, okay. It's the environmental permit, yes. But also the water taxes, which we didn't talk about. And by the way, water taxes have never been permitted, so they're they're actually actually a variance. They're actually for a variance of existing rules and regulations that are there to protect manatees. And it is actually not in compliance with the Manatee Protection Plan. And the Fish and Wildlife, Florida Fish and Wildlife, has sent a letter to the DP saying that this is not in. They don't recommend. I mean, even the, the state got involved. The guys that don't allowed. believe climate change exists. Yeah, even they, they sent a letter. The, even they are against this project. No, what they actually specifically said, I'm reading from the letter, is that <laughs> they the, they want to establish water taxi um, docks in the SEC area, and they're saying this is this is an area where where it you know water taxis are not recommended by the Manatee Protection Plan because um, this is an area that is is used by manatees. So any kind of taxis and use of that will actually increase the risk of boat and manatee interaction. Um, manatees use the skin day and FEC, and the number of manatees in the area increases during colder months, which is exactly when the boat show is going on. That's why water taxis have never, ever been permitted. But yet the boat show is coming in to ask for a variance so that they don't have to, you know, they can just not follow the rules that have been in place to protect. Well, I mean, manatees. what is it? Look, you you're the mayor of a of a city. What is the point of all this planning, all these rules and regulations and master plans, if somebody can just walk in and say, uh, we want to make some money here, um, pay us? Well, if we want a world-class city and we want to have a strong community, we need to con- we need to follow our rules and our regulations. We need to aspire to sustainable, long-term planning and we can't deviate every time that someone has, you know, a, a, a half-cocked idea. We need to be thoughtful in what we do. So one last time, tomorrow morning, your chance to speak out. There's a public hearing, 9.30 a.m., Stephen A. Clark Government Center. You sign up. Uh, you should be able to speak around 11 o'clock a.m. That's when they're going to hear the item. And if you want to see the Miami Marine Stadium have a chance at becoming a Marine Stadium again, this is your shot. And uh, we've got one minute left, so I want your parting thoughts, Blanca, and uh, and you, Myra, as well, very briefly. Well, I just want to say that um, the community is committed to this, and we're relentless and never give up because you never know what's going to happen. So I'll just keep 
talking about this until uh, forever, <laughs> until the island goes underwater, and uh, we just need to keep protecting our resources. We have this is, very little left. This Thank you for joining a, us, Myra. Thank you. I mean, and, and you too, Blanca. <laughs> Thank you. Go ahead, Myra. Listen, this is a Miami-Dade issue. We absolutely need to have our residents engaged and informed. This is about access to the rest of Miami-Dade County, to all of our resources, to um, the historic Virginia Key Beach and Key Biscayne. Thank you. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Oh, welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we are back live with Frank Fiore from Hialeah Park. Frank, thank you for joining us on the program tonight. Hey, Grant. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here tonight. Awesome. So you guys are having a big event on Saturday. Tell our audience a little bit about it. You know, we're excited on, on a number of levels because uh, you, uh, you may know that we're uh, just about two and a half years old now, Hialeah Park Casino. The, and, uh, the, this act of, of Hialeah uh, Park Casino. has been uh, entertainment. Sure. Uh, we featured some um, pretty impressive boxing matches. We seem to have become uh, a bit of a mecca for the boxing world, and we're proud of that. And we're also proud of the musical affiliations that we've had. You know, we had the great Willie Chirino as our spokesman for the first couple of years. We presented Jose Feliciano for our Christmas shows for the last two years. And what we're happy about now is this new little venue that we rolled out called the Fountain Terrace. And uh, it's an outdoor venue located just outside the casino. About 300 people fit comfortably out there under the stars. It's a beautiful little stage, great sound, great lighting. And what we've really decided to do is, uh, you know, highlight some of the local talent, the up-and-coming artists, and some of the local headliners that that we feel deserve to be seen in a comfortable, intimate environment. And that's what's going on this Saturday, uh, December 19th, out on the Fountain Terrace at Hialeah Park. We're we're very happy to present uh, Joe Mercer Marley, along with Denai Suarez. And that's what's going on. So uh, what kind of music will we be hearing from them? I've got a couple of samples here. We're going to take a listen at the break. Okay, yeah, I know you have some some bites over there. And uh, this primarily, of course, the Marley legacy is certainly affiliated with reggae. Uh, Denai Suarez is a Cuban hip-hop reggae artist. So it's going to be be an island-oriented evening. Uh, something a little bit out of our wheelhouse at Hialeah Park. You know, we, we have favored the salsa and the Latin genre primarily because that's where we live. But we want to stretch, especially with the new venue, the Fountain Terrace. We want to stretch. We want to present some different genres of music. We just had May Day out there a couple of weeks ago. In fact, the night of the, the boxing match, the after-party concert, we had May Day doing a great job. Again, something different for us. And we plan to continue with, uh, you know, one show a month out there. And, uh, you know, as usual, the people will tell us what they like. That's and, cool. Uh, we take it from them. So, I mean, what are so, some of the other shows you guys have featured in, in this series? 
Yeah, like I say, uh, we started out uh, with Locos Porwana when we debuted the venue about 10 weeks ago. Uh, we followed with May Day, which was uh, affiliated with the boxing match. And here we are with our uh, holiday presentation, Joe Mercer Marley and Denise Suarez. And coming up, we have uh, the great Paolo. We have the Spam All-Stars and, you know, a couple of other surprises. But we're, we're trying to go one a month through the season and then, you know, see what the public tells us and see how it goes. So we're excited uh, about the venue. We think it's a very comfortable venue. And the first couple of shows uh, with Locos and uh, with May Day uh, proved to be very, very uh, uh, rewarding. So we think we're going to go forward. Uh, and tell our audience where they can find all of this. Where is the Fountain Terrace located? What's the address? And what is your website? Sure, thanks. Uh, you know, very simple, HialeahPark.com is the site. Uh, Hialeah Park, as you may know, has been around for almost 90 years. Uh, we now, of course, have a beautiful casino, one of the most beautiful poker rooms in South Florida. Great slot floor, beautiful amphitheater that seats 3,000. And, and pretty uh, soon, uh, December 26th, uh, come the horse races. Right. Uh, so We will have 10 consecutive weekends of uh, American quarter horse racing, Fridays through Mondays. And where to check it all out, I know it's a wealth of information here we're loading you up with, but um, HialeahPark.com is where to get it all. All right. The info, the entertainment info, the music info, the gaming info, it's all there. All right. Well, we're going to bring you uh, back right after this break, but I'm going to play a track by Danae Suarez called Yo No Se Que Está Pansado, uh, Pasando. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Welcome back. 
This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back with Frank Fiore from Hialeah Park. Frank, thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My pleasure. Having a good time listening. So, Frank, uh, tell our audience a little bit about the history of Hialeah Park, because the last two years is what you guys have done. But Hylia Park has been around for a little while. In fact, a certain gentleman who would have celebrated his 100th birthday spent a lot of time there back when. You're he? absolutely right. In fact, uh, we are celebrating a little bit of Sinatra at our upcoming uh, New Year's Eve gala, which you can also learn about on the website. But, yeah, you're right, Grant. Hylia Park is uh, approaching 90 years old. Uh, opened uh, back in 25. Uh, as a dog racing facility, believe it or not, and uh, burnt down uh, a year and a half later. Wow. It was rebuilt, opened as a racetrack, and uh, has been here ever since. And, of course, home of the famous flamingos. You know about the flamingos, right? Right. I think that's that's an image that a lot of people have of South Florida, but they don't realize that is highly a park. That is, that is how, you know, it's so much a part of the brand. I mean, not only is it in the logo, but uh, there they all live, all 300 of them. And uh, they have been there uh, since uh, the 20s. And uh, breeding, and, uh, you know, um, they are one of very few flocks of flamingos in the world who do not migrate. These guys just stay there, and they... Uh, they have all the choice in the world. Their wings, contrary to rumor, are not clipped. Uh, they are not forced to stay. They but just they like must it. Be there. Having a good time, or they love horse racing, one or the other, right? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, tell our audience a little bit about some of the more uh, interesting parts of the the history of that track, because you know, at one a lot point, of the, the, uh, at the one point you know, in in the heyday of thoroughbred horse racing in the forties, fifties, sixties. Uh, it was known, and still is known, as the most beautiful race course in the world. And you had the likes of Winston Churchill and the Kennedys, and as you mentioned, the Sinatras and the Rat Pack guys, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, famous politicians and, and uh, ambassadors uh, from all over the world. Uh, not to mention the royalty of racing, uh, Citation, uh, Secretariat, you know, some of the great race horses uh, uh, that ever uh, graced a racetrack. Uh, performed for the public at Hialeah Park. And um, it, it stayed that way uh, uh, until uh, 2001 when, uh, you know, the industry changed dramatically and the, uh, the landscape of horse racing uh, became a little bit more difficult here in Miami. And the track closed for a number of years uh, until 2009 when uh, gaming came into the picture and has been, like it or not, a, uh, a contributing factor to the salvation of a lot of paramutual facilities. Right. Hialeah Park. Well, I mean, let's talk about that. Without the additional revenue from gaming, I mean, you guys have a season that's mandated, right? Like, isn't it like... Uh, that, that's like, exactly right. You yeah. know, it always became a fight for dates, and, and, you know, the local tracks competing against one another for the good dates, as they say, the seasonal dates. And, well, well, not just that, know, but um, the, didn't they make all the paramutuals compete with each other? So, uh, Well, that's but, another thing. You know, once it became that, like you say, we were running against one another, 
uh, the entire landscape changed, and it became a lot more difficult, and there weren't enough horses and trainers and, uh, you know, overlapping and competing with your neighbors. and uh, It just became a different game. And Mr. Brunetti, who has owned Hialeah Park since 1977, at that point, uh, since he is the sole owner of the track and has no one else to answer to, uh, he decided to take a breather for a minute and uh, see what would happen to the industry and kept the track in repair and kept feeding the flamingos and kept everything up to par. And uh, with the advent of gaming in 2009, was granted a license. And, you know, there came the rebirth of Hialeah Park. And uh, it took us a few years to get the casino open, but in uh, August of 2013, we debuted the uh, Hialeah Park Casino and uh, with 840 slots and now 33 poker tables in what is the number one poker room in South Florida. So we, uh, we're very grateful and uh, amazed at, at the public response and support. And we continue to expand, you know, which is what we're doing. You know, here comes a shopping center and perhaps a hotel. And there's an awful lot of things that can go on in the rest of that 240 acres that Brunetti's own. And they're planning to use just about every acre of it. Well, Frank, stick around. We're going to play a little bit more music from this Saturday's upcoming show at Fountain Terrace. This is Joe Mercer Marley, Comfortable. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. To all the empresses who keep themselves well, manageable and sharp and bevel, then with a king like I shall be comfortable. We'll be inseparable. It's inevitable. Link me. Hi, Lola, my love. Oh, your body shape like a bottle of Coca-Cola. Feel free to call me from a pop, your Motorola. It's good to know you when you want a great time. I'm the man to call overnight. Time of my time to pull up in a Corolla. Bring a few spliffs when we already roll up. The moon sparks a night cruising on the gondola. I'll give this up to you. Call me your organ donor, gramophone playing viola. You're feeding off my aura. You can be high off a life or simply this aroma. Eat my rose wine and your keen eyes of your corona. Answer from this night, baby girl, you'll never be alone. Comfortable with the rebel, so she likes it. When a we want, she knows she can't fight it. Comfortable, I'm eligible. She comfortable with this rebel. Comfortable with the rebel, so she likes it. When a we want, she knows she can't fight it. Comfortable, yeah, with this rebel. Oh, comfortable, so I'm eligible. Comfortable with this rebel. With this rebel. Whoa. She say her last man want super bad Who? Make loving Want too hefty Then I must get the dust in Me's the type of man where ladies want to make them husband Kiss up on her neck and she said, Joe, you're starting something Boom, bang, bing She said, Joe, you done it again Loving where you get now, you can be more than a friend Some boy for know for treat a woman beg you set the trend And by the time I leave her yard, she always get bent Ma make her happy like a youth where up on the weekend She love the natty where come from the tribe of Benjamin Literally, physically, you're different Out of this world, girl, you're irrelevant Comfortable with the rebel, so she likes it When a we want, she knows she can't fight it Comfortable, I'm eligible She comfortable with this rebel Comfortable with the rebel, so she likes it When a we want, she knows she can't fight it Comfortable, yeah, with this rebel Comfortable, so I'm eligible Comfortable with this rebel With this rebel Whoa. I see our love growing stronger every day And she don't care Oh, welcome back. 
This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, Podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back with Frank Fiore from Hialeah Park. Frank, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. Grant, it's been a gas. I really appreciate your support. I appreciate the time, and uh, I wish you uh, continued success with Only in Miami. Oh, thank you very much. Love having you on here. You know, a lot of folks don't realize that the 79th Street Causeway was pretty much created to get people from Miami Beach to Hialeah Park. And still does, to a certain extent, (laughs) although there are a few other options. But yes, you're absolutely right, and I remember those days, I hate to admit. (laughs) (laughs) oh you know uh there are still a few people that take 79th street there otherwise uh what are the the, how uh, where where should people you know like where do people get there like what's the best way 95 uh, like you said 79th street is a direct way some people opt to take 103rd street west all the way across then if you're coming off the palmetto or something the hialeah expressway okeechobee road you know, you can hit it from, I'll tell you, it's pretty centrally located, and it's not as off the track as people think. Um, again, check com for directions from every angle, north, south, east, and west. Sure. Very clear maps and very good uh, directions for you. And, and I'm just curious, I'm looking at the, uh, I'm looking at it, the Hialeah Metro Rail Station is right across the street. Is that a bridge that takes people over to the park from the station? Well, it's amazing. It's a very fortunate thing that they built us a stop. And uh, what we have there is our own tram that transports the people. We wait for you downstairs, and the tram will take you either to the racetrack, if that's in season, or across to the casino. Okay, great. So you can actually take the metro rail there if you're coming from downtown. Yes, believe it or not, we have between three and 500 people a day that arrive that way. That's pretty cool. Um, You know, I actually hadn't realized that. Because, you know, you guys are very close to the new Leah Arts District, right? And we're very excited about it. That's my buddy, the uh, city councilman, Paul Hernandez. That's his dream, his baby. And uh, wow, what a great idea. Well, let's talk about how the neighborhood has started to change. And when the changes that have happened in Hialeah over the last 15 years, let's say, for the better. Because a lot of people don't realize that Hialeah has gotten a lot nicer. I think it's only beginning, quite honestly. And you're so right that... that, uh, People really don't realize it just yet, but I think within 18 to 24 months, there's going to be an amazing amount of press on it. I don't know whether you noticed the Travel and Leisure magazine feature on the city of Hialeah this month, this past month. Wow, that's, you know, a national feature talking about just what you say, you know, the evolution of a new culture there, and it's attracting uh, another demographic and another age group and a younger, more progressive population, and now you've got Lennar in there building some beautiful communities in Hialeah. And I don't know, we're excited about it. We feel, you know, perhaps we're a part of it. Uh, we would like to think we're a part of it and we're contributing to the excitement. But uh, yes, you're right. Something seems to be happening. Well, uh, let's forget about the, the young people for a second. Let's talk about Stephen's Restaurant. <laughs> That's my favorite place in all of Hialeah. And it's like very close to you guys. So I got to ask you, do you go there all the time? Did you just say Steve's Deli? Yes, Steven's Deli. Mother of mercy, do I go there all the time. For, you know, for, he loves harness racing. We joke around about we're, we're, we're thoroughbred guys, and he loves, he owns and, uh, you know, races a lot of harness horses up in New York. 
No the way. The answer is yes, of course we do. I, I, <laughs> come on, I'm from Queens. Give me a good brisket oh. platter in Hialeah, and I'm in heaven. Yeah, I, I think people don't realize that the best corned beef in all of Miami is in Hialeah. Oh, we love this guy, and he's so personable, not to mention. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a lot of laughs. I go in with uh, John Bernetti Jr., loves to go there with me. Steve Calibro, our casino guy, goes in with me. Oh, yeah, we're, we're buddies with Steve and, and, and with the food. Yeah, I'm I'm a big foodie. I, I would love to have actually more food guests on the program. We have to work on. I only have some great spots. You know, I'm a very big Molinas fan. Yeah, I'm an Italian who loves Cuban food, but Molinas. You ever tried Molinas? I don't. You know, I don't think I've been to Molinas actually. Oh, tremendous Cuban food. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had a lot, a of, good lot of good Cuban in food in Miami, but <laughs> no shortage here. Thank goodness. <laughs> Let me see Molinas. That's uh, oh, that's very close also. Yep, jot it down. I'll have a little lunch at Molina's. I meet Footy there. You know our buddy Footy? We well, meet for lunch there quite frequently. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, is he still on Y100? No, actually, he's, you know, semi-retired. He runs a beautiful charity here in Miami called Here's Help. Ah, uh, gotcha. That Hialeah Park is a big supporter of. And Footy has a weekly show on Sundays now on QAM, actually. Oh, there you go. I mean, hey, you know... The radio bug uh, doesn't leave uh, easily. I grew up no, listening to that guy. You know, he's a legend. and We love him. and We do our New Year's Eve gala with Footy every year at Hialeah Park for the benefit of his charity. That's very, very cool. Well, you know, Frank, I really appreciate you joining us on the program tonight. Let's tell our audience one more time one about more time. the Saturday's event. We, we are event. so excited to present on our brand-new Fountain Terrace at Hialeah Park Casino, Joe Mercer Marley and Denai Suarez this Saturday, December 19th, at 9 p.m. Again, out on the Fountain Terrace, right in front of the casino at Hialeah Park. Absolutely free. Admission and parking, always free. Details at HialeahPark.com. All righty. Well, we'll be right back. We're going to listen to Joe Mercer Marley one more time. Again, Frank, thanks for joining us on the program. Grant, thanks so much. Come out and visit with us out there. I certainly will. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. So hear me sing, eh? Rock and swing like if it ain't nothing Right now you're listening to the young ragamuffin beam Rock and swing like if it ain't nothing Right now you're listening to the young ragamuffin Oh, love Amers! Before me do damage, me pay homage to the creator Jal of creator than the greater get them make up in a debater Trouble the world and every turn Me pull in up every theater Lyrical Rambo, you know me can't move by nature So I see I words, the people are search for love Not papers, fun pedophiles and rapers For we Babylon, them no care for Politics, what we no fear for Bad mind, what we pray for Smoke more than papers, not pounds Takers, smoke in the beer of my neighbor Welcome to Jamaica Where else would I take ya? The island full of a flavor Manners and discipline to all the youth We are going with bad behavior Them not craving, but them crave for work Them put in the labor Not nothing, them hustling Doubling, keeping themselves out of danger Packing the clock and a lock for you them life up in a danger So, news flash it to this one You're a stranger Cause I don't want to know And you shouldn't want to be Outside of Zion's gates when they cloud 
iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live for a couple of minutes here. Um, I've been presenting some of the best clips of 2015. We just finished our second full season on the air. That's right. Over 100 episodes consecutively. We're actually up to 107, I think, tonight. 107 consecutive unique episodes on the Only in Miami show. And uh, right now I'd like to share for you a clip where we were interviewing Smurfio from Afro Beta. And we're back live with Smurfio from Afro Beta. Smurfio, hey, thanks for calling. I'm here. So we've got the new stuff all loaded up. What nice. can you tell us about this first track that we're going to play? The first track was done in L.A. last summer. Okay. Uh, it's called Dream About You. It's called Dream About You. Yeah, Christy kind of hummed. She woke up from a dream humming the melody, and then we turned it into a song. Okay. And uh, what what style would you say the song is? It's dream Pop. It's Dream Pop. Yeah. Is this the first time that it's getting played on the radio in South Florida? Uh, could. Yeah, I think it is. Oh, there you go, man. So uh, I hope uh, everybody out there in the audience has got the, the volume cranked up and ready. Uh, this is your South Florida radio debut of Dream About You by Afro Beta. This is the Only in Miami show. Do you 
Oh, welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. Smurfio, still with yes. us there, buddy? How you doing? J- jamming, man. How do you think I'm doing? <laughs> oh, nice. It sounds great. It really sounds Last great. Last Sunday without football. I know. I know. I survived it, too. What do you think is going to in store oh, Dave, for our Miami Sunday, Dolphins? Today's Monday. Oh. It feels like the Sunday to me. It's it's the last Monday with no Monday night football too. That's true. Yeah, I mean this sorry, is. Sorry, uh, I didn't mean to switch the conversation, but I no, know what you're no, it's it's about. perfectly okay. I have a fantasy football draft starting in nine eight and a half minutes. Wow, that's <laughs> too much for me. Yeah, it's a lot to do, but they uh, they wanted to draft at seven p.m. I thought that was going to be way too much. <laughs> How dare them! So, what do you think is in store for the Dolphins this year? I say they're going to be ten and six, yeah, and they're going to be a wild card team. So, does that mean that the Jets aren't going to make it, the Bills or the Patriots? Who's going to make it? I mean, who's going to win the AFC East if that's the case? I want to say the Dolphins, but but they can't be a wild card if they're. I know, I know. I want to say that they're going to win it, but for some reason, I just think the Patriots are going to win it again. I don't know how that they are. What, you think that, uh, you know, the Patriots are going to keep deflating the balls or something? Yep. I mean, how are they going to win without cheating? I don't know. They'll find a way. (laughs) So are there any other tracks off of this album that that we might... uh, Well, you've heard clones before, you personally. We kind of released it on our SoundCloud, but the version that we released on the album is a new version of it. Oh, so uh, there's there's a new version, like different than, Yeah. Because we've been playing different it on the music, show for a long same time. Lyrics, same vocals, just different music. Yeah, I mean, we've been playing clones on the show for well, probably since the beginning, actually. Yeah, I know. It's just, just we finally got to release it because yeah. well, an official release. Yeah, I hadn't Put realized. Put it up on our SoundCloud. I hadn't realized that it wasn't part of any one, uh, any other album. No, no, it wasn't. We've been, we've been waiting to release it, and finally we're just going to put it with everything. So tell our audience, like, what inspired the clones? Because it's a really cool song. Good question. Uh, the, lyrically, you have to ask Christy that. Uh, well, we're gonna bring her into the studio. I promise. Musically, yeah. I borrowed I borrowed it from a song that I had made with Swenalo fourteen years ago. Uh, the chorus was kind of this phrasing thing that I used to do in a Swenalo song called "Pass the Ball." Okay. And then uh, the, the whole course, uh, send in the clowns, I kept thinking to myself. Sure, uh, send in the clowns, but, but, send in the clowns. Yeah, but, but then she changed the clones, and I think it has something to do with all the drones, and I really don't know. I'm not sure. I don't even know what the song's about, to be honest. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. We're going to have the booth queue up uh, clones. And yeah. and we're gonna play the album version because we've heard the the SoundCloud version for quite a yeah. while now, but I'm looking forward to hearing the full album version. Yeah, so, you go. This is Se- uh, Clones by Afro Beta on the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, Podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we are back. We are playing some of the best of 2015 on the Only in Miami show. And we spend a lot of time on the show speaking with the local politicians, movers and shakers that are out there impacting public policy. Uh, We mentioned this particular interview earlier in the show tonight. Uh, We were talking about Skyrise, which was a voter referendum that went all wrong. It promised a tourist attraction with all private funds, except that some of those funds came from Miami-Dade County. And we brought Raquel Regalado onto the program to discuss her lawsuit against then uh, the city of Miami and Miami-Dade County. Uh, It is now just a city of Miami lawsuit. And she is actually the only person, the only member of the public to get one of these public interest lawsuits over the bar of standing and into the courthouse. Um, So we're going to play some of our interview with Raquel Regalado from this February. Take a listen that it has no public financing. And apparently, as these things go, Jeff Berkowitz forgot to mention by accident at the June 26th city hall meeting where it got put on the ballot that he had an application with the county. It was just tabled. So, Raquel, uh, tell us a little bit about your lawsuit, which... Mr. Brayman is helping out with. Right. Um, so this lawsuit's interesting because I didn't sue Jeff Berkowitz. I sued the county and the city. And obviously sure. my father is the mayor of the city. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. You would think he would be the, the person most offended by this, but he wasn't. Uh, he well, actually Miami has a weak me. mayor. Right. Yeah, exactly. Miami has a weak mayor. I'm sure he probably wants to sue the city occasionally as well. He has those days. Um, he has those days. Uh, interestingly enough, at the county level, even though the mayor was not named, uh, he's come out defending this project and sort of defending this allocation, which is interesting. Uh, but the legal argument um, in this case is, is very simple. It's actually a very solid argument. You know, we, we were just talking about um, public land and the misuse of public land and what happens when something goes wrong in the process. And there's always a gray area. You know, there's always a gray area that you have to define. This lawsuit is based on statutory language regarding ballot initiatives. And there's okay. no gray area there. Okay. When it comes to ballot questions, the law is very clear. So just to give a little bit of background. There was another lawsuit filed by architect Charles Corda. About splitting about, the question. About, about splitting the question into two questions. Two subject, the two-subject rule. The two-subject right. rule. And the court found against him they decided that it was a sublease. Right. And so so what people need to understand is, you know, before we talk about the, the public subsidy and sort of corporate welfare and how far we want to go down that line, uh, this is a project that is going to utilize public land. So pursuant to the city of Miami charter, whenever you're going to have public waterfront land uh, that it's going to be used for some uh, some purpose other than a public purpose, there has to be a referendum. So that's how we sort of get into the referendum. Because okay. a lot of people are like, why was there a referendum? Uh, there was a well, ref- the, a referendum have become popular among politicians who want to punt uh, really right. stinky projects out to the voters and hope that uh, the lobbying doesn't work out for these guys. Right. So in this case, it wasn't a it's straw like a jobs ballot. program for lobbyists, to be quite honest. 
it's a whole cottage industry that has that's a that we'll talk about the cottage industry that. <laughs> it's like a it's like a condo industry for lobbyists here i mean seriously <laughs> that's true but in this case um you know the the ballot language was supposed to be very clear and really afforded the developer the opportunity to use this public land obviously the incentive was the use of public land which is interesting because when you talk about these supposed game changers and what happens on the county side, that money was allocated in 2004 to incentivize projects that were considering Miami-Dade and then somewhere else. And the idea sure. was we're going to give them a public subsidy so that they'll come here as opposed Instead to somewhere, somewhere else. else. But this particular project is landing right where it's landing. There, There's no, no nowhere else for it to it's be. It's already landed. So the legal question is very simple. Um, you know, if, if Jeff Berkowitz takes the $9 million from the county as an incentive, um, you know, the, the question is, was the ballot language then misleading? And a judge has to decide when the ballot says privately funded project, does mm -hmm. that mean that it does not include public infrastructure money? And it's interesting because they've tried to confuse the issue by talking about um, all the different people that may or may not have known. Well, but the I, legal my favorite standard, thing is it's it's infrastructure money. <laughs> this is not for a tower. This is for infrastructure. It's for palms. It's which for you palms. only need if you build this tower. bloody tower. Right. Now, I was looking at the same thing after you filed it, and I was like, man... That's a good one. But what about this? What if it just violates their lease? Maybe we can kick all of them off. Maybe it's a breach of the lease entirely by getting this funding vote and they can't cure it. Well, you know, the, the, what's going to happen is if he takes the nine million, he has to take it to the to the ballot again. And he has to redraft it in the ballot and say a private project that may or may not receive public funding. Uh, and I think at that at this point, with all the information that people have on Skyrise and how strongly they believe, if it's a hairpin, if it's a nail clipper, if it's a money clip, like everybody has like an idea of what it looks like. It is. It's certainly a very distinctively shaped right. building. Uh, whatever you think it is, we'll leave it up to your imagination. Google it if you haven't seen the thing. Um, you know, the the at the end of the day, I don't think it would pass a ballot. Uh, question sure. right now because there's just there's so many questions about it now um, I think when that conversation originally occurred people were like hey look if it's gonna if it's gonna bring money to Bayside if it's gonna be good for the city uh, if it's gonna get onto the August ballot where nobody votes out, at in the, right, the midterm election and 20,000 21,000 votes that was the total out of over 500,000 residents. How do we change that in Miami-Dade? Right. Well, I think you change it by, um, you know, giving people a better confidence in government. I think that that's the problem. I think that there and, and look, the, the electorate has every reason uh, to have issues with government. Um, and this is a clear example of that, which is why I think this lawsuit is so important, because it sends a clear message. You know, you could do a lot of things and, and we could debate whether it's legal or it's not legal or it's ethical or it's unethical. But you can't lie to people on the ballot. And, and if you do, you know what? You got to take it to the vote again and you got to you got to, um, you know, take that risk. But I hope that as part of this Skyrise conversation, we have a broader conversation about the 2004 bond, because going back to this idea of lack of legal process, you know, what we voted on 
in 2004 as being priorities for this bond issuance, 15 years later, are dramatically different. I mean, I remember voting for that bond, and one of the reasons that I yeah, voted, I voted for, for it— I voted for that bond, the Building well, Better Communities, communities bond. bond. Right. One of the reasons that I voted for it, speaking of our Miami history, well, I mean, is anything... it, had or it was going to restore the Orange Bowl. It sure. had $50 million oh, yeah, that's to, right. to restore the Orange Bowl. Well, any, My first anything child... they propose with, some, with like a catchy acronym— Right. It's it, got to be dangerous. C I T T. That is four words, and only one of them is truthful. Okay. This is true. But I remember that campaign for the 2004 bond. And, you know, my earliest childhood memory is in the Orange Bowl. I mean, I love the Orange Bowl. I was so sad when they decided to tear it down. Uh, but the, the, I, that was one of the reasons that I voted for it. And when that money was reallocated to the Marlin Stadium, you know, we were all like, what are you talking about? How can you just reallocate that money? So it's interesting now, as part of the Skyrise conversation, to hear Mayor Jimenez say, well, that money is written in stone. And if it doesn't go to this project, it has to go to another project. You're like, actually, no. No. No, it could be reallocated to something completely different. And, you know, if I if I could do it right now, I would take that $75 million and say, you know what? We have other priorities. These game changers. Uh, we How about don't have a the money transit game changer? Exactly. You know, get, put it back on the ballot and see. You know, do you want to invest it in transit infrastructure? We know that the um, half penny is a farce and that it's used for maintenance and not for infrastructure. You know, the number one complaint that people have is transportation. Well, if do you there's want to one thing they finally, finally, and uh, we're back live for just a minute here. I wanted to bring you this segment from when we spoke with political reporter Mark Caputo. He is on Politico.com, and he writes the Daily Playbook, which is an amazing, amazing email blast every single day. So let's listen to our interview with Mark Caputo. We're live with Mark Caputo. Mark, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. So, Mark, tell our audience a little bit about your new role at Politico, Politico.com. Well, it's similar to what I used to do when I worked at the Miami Herald with one. You know, so I cover kind of all things Florida politics with one exception. I kind of cover more things of Florida politics and I have a daily newsletter. We call it the Politico Florida playbook. You can sign up online, Google Florida political playbook or Politico Florida playbook, pardon me, and you'll be able to find it and subscribe, hopefully. Oh, yeah. No, I've been subscribed to it for a few weeks there and it's pretty extensive. So uh, tell, tell our audience a little bit, like, how long does it take you to generate one of these playbooks? Because they're, like, they're long format. Yeah, at, you know, if, if I'm really pressed for time, the minimum it would take is two hours. But, you know, like anything, you can spend as long as you want on it. Uh, I'd say sure. maybe an average of three to four hours. Uh, I, try, I, try to, I try to give people a scope of what's going on in Florida. So, I mean, ideal playbook, a Florida playbook, would, would have news from Pensacola to Jacksonville to... Tampa Bay. Well, it kind of does. I like, mean, you really do range does. all yeah, over the place. Pensacola is actually kind of a, uh, a little more of a hole in coverage. I, I don't think the um, – they don't produce a lot of political political news there out of the Pensacola News Journal. I wish it were different, but I think that's an editorial decision on their part. Well, the, the North Florida politicians are extremely active because they're so close to Tallahassee. It seems like they're always getting – more press than the size of the constituency that they have compared to the Miami folks? Uh, I guess it depends. Um, I haven't, it depends on how you define North Florida as well. I mean, you usually that your the bulk of your lawmakers are going to come from that kind of the, the, the central part of the state, the I four corridor. So you usually those are the ones and the, 
that that more often than not wind up in legislative positions. Like, for instance, the current House Speaker is uh, from Brevard County. I think it's Brevard. Uh, and the uh, Senate President's from Orlando. <laughs> and the uh, the incoming House Speaker is uh, going to be from the Tampa Bay area. So uh, we don't know who the Senate President's going to be. That's a whole other kettle of fish of soap opera or telenovela or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> well, I mean, there are a lot of flavors of soap opera in our state when it comes to politics. So let's start with state politics. Uh, there's brewing primaries in both the Republican and the Democratic side that are going to be heavily contested. And since there's two Democratic candidates, let's start with those guys. You're uh, talking about the U.S. Senate race? Yes, for the U.S. Senate race for the seat that Marco Rubio is vacating. Right. right. Well, right now, the Mason Dixon uh, came out with a poll last night. If you read your uh, Politico Florida playbook, you would have seen that there exclusively first. <laughs> Sorry for the plug. But right now, it's basically a tie between Patrick Murphy and Alan Grayson, both congressmen, you know, one from the Jupiter area, Patrick Murphy, uh, Alan Grayson, uh, the more outspoken progressive candidate from Orlando. Uh, though it's a tie, I think you really have to say things look good for Grayson. I mean, his his numbers have improved about 19 percentage points. Wow, since that's, that's very significant. It is. Especially for somebody who, who's got a very high Q score. Like, a lot of people really know who Grayson is, and the news lately, what I've been reading in the playbook, most of it actually hasn't been positive. Well, maybe it hasn't been positive, but, you know, as I say, there's no such thing as bad press, right? Um, uh, certain people in the Republican Party are proving that. <laughs> we'll get <laughs> yeah, to that later. That's very true. Well, and, and in fact, I was thinking about this. There are similarities between Donald Trump and Alan Grayson in this regard, is that one of the things that people in the Republican Party find attractive about Donald Trump is he's got swagger and he has moxie and he says what comes into his head and he says it well. And so does Alan Grayson. Uh, now, they say inflammatory things or things that really bother the other side, so to speak. But sure. these are closed primaries we're talking about. And what's different and what we haven't seen in a long time in Florida or perhaps ever is some guy who's running and saying, yes, I'm an unabashed liberal. I'm an unabashed progressive. I don't I'm not trying to go into the, the center to win the mushy middle. Well, and, you know, well, Grayson is, is that in a Democratic primary in a, a statewide Democratic primary in quite some time. I can't remember when we have. No, I, I can't remember either. But Grayson is from Orlando, right? From the Orlando right. area. That's a fairly conservative area overall. Well, his district is pretty Democratic. <laughs> yeah. OK. Uh, you don't get elected as a progressive like that unless you have a Democratic reforming district. It's not guaranteed. It's heavily Hispanic, but it's it's pretty it's pretty strongly Democratic. But well, you know, I mean, again, the I four corridor it's the purple area of Florida, <laughs> so right. And when you draw different districts, one of the things is is that I think his seat qualifies as a minority access seat, or uh, and as a result, it's going to have a higher pr proportion of minorities than say other seats would. But in doing so, this is one of the quirks of redistricting is you wind up putting, when you wind up putting lots of minorities into one area, you generally concentrate a higher proportion of liberal-leaning or Democratic voters in one district. And as a result, the surrounding districts become much more conservative because they're more Anglo-white. Okay. Uh, that's one of the reasons, outside of allegations of gerrymandering, that Republicans have an edge in both congressional seats and in legislative seats. Well, we're going to get to redistricting because that's going to affect everybody in the state. Um, I mean, when they rearrange one district, all the others are right next to it. 
So it's very rare that they rearrange one district and the others don't see something. Yeah. What the, yeah, well, I, if we, we want to get into that later, sure. Uh, go back to the Senate race. There is another uh, candidate who's running. Uh, she actually announced first. Her name is Pam Keith. Uh, she's from everything I've seen of her and, and read about her and, and, and studied of her is she seems like a very bright person, but the problem that these candidates with no political experience and no major money encounter is, is Congress is professional politics. These are professional politicians. And if you want to run for the U S Senate and you're not worth a Rick Scott whopping hundred million dollars or so, you, your chances of being elected in the state statewide are pretty slim. So we shouldn't slight Pam Keith, albeit the polls have, but, um, in the end, the Democratic race locked, tied, neck and neck, uh, use whatever uh, word you want to use or, or, or phrase or cliche. Uh, Republican race is pretty similar. Uh, nominally in the Mason-Dixon poll that just came out, uh, David Jolly is at 16 percentage points or 16 points percent. Governor or Lieutenant Governor Lopez Quintero is at 10 percent, 10 percent. Ron DeSantis is at nine. I, I should actually be looking this up. I'm just recalling this from memory. <laughs> And uh, the rest are kind of right down. Uh, you know, 16% is not really major front-runner status. So that race is basically tied. Now, yeah, that that race is wide open. And it is. It really shows the other race. Yeah, the, the other race, the reason I started with is because when you wrote the, the playbook, you said, man, Democratic Party heads are upset. They're upset that there's two candidates, two main candidates, and that now it's going to be a knockdown, drag-out primary. Do you think yeah, it's going to be like that way? Uh, yeah, I, well, I think on the Democratic side, you know, the establishment certainly wanted Patrick Murphy, and Alan Grayson didn't want the establishment to get its way. Um, and, you know, if you talk to folks who like Murphy, they are a bit nervous about Alan Grayson. Because, as I said earlier, he's... he's he Bombastic. Has, but he shows his words. He kind of wears it on his sleeve. Patrick Murphy is a much younger person, and he's more of a package and scripted candidate. And that might not wear well in a statewide campaign. I mean, albeit this is July, you know, the, the primary is going to be in August of next year. So it's more than a year away. There's a lot of time and a lot of money to be raised. And who knows what will happen? Well, isn't this good for the Democratic Party statewide to have two people raising a lot of money and just getting their... And we're back live. And that's about all the time we've got tonight for the Only in Miami show. I would like to thank the guests that made it into the studio. Mayor uh, Myra Lindsay, she is the mayor of Key Biscayne, and I really appreciate it that she could make it into the program tonight. We also had Frank Fiore from Hylia Park and Blanco Mesa, who has been an activist at Key, uh, Virginia Key for quite some time. It was a great show, and uh, I hope you enjoyed some of the montage clips that we played for you. You can find them all at soundcloud.com slash Stern or at onlyinmiami.co, and we'll be back next Monday night. This is the Only in Miami show.